Hello and welcome to The Appetite, a podcast brought to you by Opal Food and Body Wisdom, an eating disorder treatment center in Seattle, Washington. I'm your host, Carter Umhow, a therapist, artist, and writer. The Appetite is all about issues of food, body, sport, and mental health. One of the main things that we focus on is our principle at Opal of attuned eating and the principle of health coming at every size. Today, starts a four-episode series on the work of Ellen Satter. Opal's co-founder and nutrition director, Julie Church, and I will be sitting down and talking about Satter's work around eating competency skills. Ellen Satter's research has been primarily focused on the process of both eating and feeding. Satter believed in a basic principle that competent eaters not only enjoy food, but they are comfortable in their enjoyment of it. It seems simple enough, but in the diet culture, enjoying food isn't usually shown in a positive light. Today, we're going to be starting off our four-part series talking about food acceptance skills. This is speaking directly to the parts of us that are built to enjoy food and that want food and need food and the processes in which we go about approaching food because of this. So without further ado, let's begin our first. Julie, thank you so much for being here. Hi. Hi. What are we talking about when we talk about eating competency skills? I tried to just explain it, but (laughs) what would you say? I know. It sounds so fancy, I think. But eating competency from Ellen Satter is a phrase that she's coined and then created a research tool, a validated research tool around to be able to assess one's ability to eat uh, with ease, eat without disorder, and I have been drawn to this tool for several years, but especially in the creation of Opal, in that it allows for us to give a vision for where we are going in recovery. And even for the everyday person that I'm interacting with as a dietitian that just finds out in the street or my school or something, my kid's school, your dietitian, how to talk about food. They always want to talk about the aspects of nutrients, the what in the eating of like, what do you eat? What do you feed your kids? And then even the nuances of treatment and recovery, they want so many of those kinds of details around the nutrition. And this model allows for us to dig deeper into eating, like just that word specifically, and give it more particularities, more details, and really parsing apart things that we so easily can just lump together and call it eating. Mm-hmm. And I would I would distinguish that in the way that you're describing it as like process-oriented rather than result-oriented, mm-hmm. the process of eating and what constitutes the eating process rather than what do I eat and how did that go? Yeah. Which would probably be an external measure in some way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so many people are assessing if they are healthy eaters by what they're eating mm-hmm. and how much of it they're eating. And this just throws that out the window and allows us to be way more into the food relationship component. And when I started my interest in nutrition, even just as a young college student, I recognized right away that I was way more drawn to the psychology of eating and the relationship with food. So doesn't surprise me that Ellen Satter's work and the tool that this is kind of gets me excited. And Ellen Satter is a dietitian as and well? And a social worker. Okay. Most of her research was based out of the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and that's where she has resided. So that's 
that's where I'm from originally is Wisconsin. And so there's good things that come from there. <laughs> that's uh, true. And I have, I have been in two different trainings. Uh, one, when I was working in the public health sector. The other one was her longer term training that is more so related to chronic dieting and the tools that she uses to um, help people that are struggling from chronic dieting. So being able to to learn from her in those settings also, I think, allows for the pages of her work and research and books to come alive a little bit more. So in this four-part series, as we're going to be sitting down and talking about the eating competency skills, where will we be headed? Ellen Satter has created four different areas of eating competence. First, food acceptance skills. Second, eating attitudes. Third, contextual skills. Fourth, internal regulation skills. So today we're going to be talking about food acceptance skills, right? Okay. So can you describe a little bit about what that is? I like to think about this as enjoyment and appetite. Okay. Which I really, I like saying the word appetite on the appetite podcast. I know. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Be some good groundwork for us. Yes. Uh, So thinking about enjoyment and appetite in our food relationship. And Ellen Satter defines it and kind of expands on it saying that our food acceptance skills show that we it, – it, it, it names or it sort of shows us more of what leads us to find food, what motivates us with food, what leads us to be food-seeking, and what aspects of it make the eating experience satisfying. So what is going to be enjoyment and what about eating and the foods that we might enjoy and the environments we're in that just make us like food? What, and why are we talking about this first? Even as a vet here, I would say that, like, you wouldn't normally start in most conversations around food about what you mm-hmm. like and enjoyment. Mm-hmm. So why why are we starting there today? Well, appetite is the first necessary part to our relationship with food. So if you think of even in the survival sense, right, is just that if we don't have a drive to eat, then we don't stay alive. We don't have survival. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think that piece is just crucial to kind of think that's one of the reasons we would start there. When you're talking about survival skills, I was just thinking about something that I probably learned in elementary school about, <laughs> this is so anecdotal, but okay. like cavemen being able to recognize berries in a bush, <laughs> like the color red as a development in nature for our eyes to be able to distinguish mm. food mm. from inedible mm-hmm. stuff. Right. I don't even know if, the, I mean. Sure. really have no context around this That's beyond fine. this little That's memory. Fine. But yes. um, that there's something even enjoyable in the color red that mm-hmm. we would be drawn to that in a way to distinguish, oh, I could eat that or, oh, mm-hmm. I could, I want that. That doesn't necessarily talk about enjoyment, but definitely the pull. Pull, yeah. I think that even your question of why would we start there, I think is interesting because culturally and, and presently in the way that we talk about food in this present day, we don't start with enjoyment. And most often, appetite is not something that's going to be put in this place of like, tap into your appetite, find what that is really asking you to go for and find and eat. Like, no, I mean, most of what we see advertised and available to us in the diet culture, right, is telling us to squash that appetite. And don't you dare possibly enjoy food. Or if you did, if you if you actually really did think about that and know what you really enjoyed with food, you are not going to be trusted. Like you are going to go out of control. And so I do, right? That enjoyment would be the exception to the rule, like sort of the indulgence. Oh, 
think about all those like yogurt commercials of like <laughs> w- like <laughs> very thin women like having this sort of sexy experience mm-hmm. with like a creme brulee flavored yo play. Yes. Maybe that's very 90s, but it is, but I remember it. <laughs> yeah, just sort of like this indulgence of follow your desire, but it's, you know, should be the exception to the way that you eat rather than uh, the rule. Yeah, yeah. And Ellen Satter in her book, Secrets of Feeding a Healthy Family, one of the stories that she shares in the section related to the food acceptance skills names uh, Larry Linder as a nutrition writer that named the fact that even in the development of the dietary guidelines for Americans, when the phrasing was being chosen, there was debate around enjoy a variety of foods or eat a variety of foods, and that the U.S. government has always chosen eat. Because there was a debate and conversation around enjoy would lead to too much of the indulgence or too much of the pleasure or isn't communicating the right message. So American. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that's a good anecdote and kind of a picture of like what happens when this doesn't go well, you know, is that we are in the present day a product of trying to squash our enjoyment and our appetite when it comes to our food relationship and instead try to make it all about the nutrients and the my pyramid and the my plate and so we're going to be talking about kind of how these eating competency skills apply and how they can be built for different people in different phases of life. I want to talk first about how this looks as a parent teaching a child how to eat or buying food for their children, et cetera. And I just want to say from the get-go, we'll be doing this in all four of the series to kind of understand these different processes. And we're starting with the parent because we were all parented at one point. Mm -hmm. And so to think about our relationship with food, we have to first think about where it all started and what we might be still holding on to in terms of the ways that we've we've understood how to eat, what to eat, when to eat. So let's start there now and we can think about both what that looks like actually for a child and what that might even look like for our inner children as mm-hmm. well. Yes, that's great. Yeah, as a child, our food acceptance skills are starting to be developed. All of these skills are developed even in that beginning of infancy and into childhood. But food acceptance skills specifically is just enjoyment again. We're coming back to the appetite. And you think of as a parent to a child, there is attentiveness to a child's cues around that and then also their response to eating. And especially I think of the infancy and when the solid food starts to be introduced and there is more of an exploratory kind of experience with food. And that's where food acceptance skills really get to be experimented with is that, okay, so a parent in their household, you know, I don't know, peas and chicken and pasta are regularly served in that household. And so therefore, when they start to do solids, For their children in that household, they start to give them little bits of that at meals and 
maybe off their own plate or maybe it's just on their little high chair or whatever it is, right? Whatever that style might be for each family. But I think the reality is that as that child is exposed to something brand new, what does it look like for them to experiment and to find enjoyment, to be introduced to something so brand new? doesn't always lead straight to enjoyment, right? So one of the things that's talked about in food acceptance skills is that with the parent-child feeding relationship, the parent does have to allow there to be a lot of trials of food as a child is trying to take in a new food and to get to food acceptance. So we may see a child touch food, maybe take food and smear it on their body, smear it just on the plate, maybe throw it, right, put it in their hair, and then some gets in their mouth and some <laughs> actually taste their taste buds, but maybe they're just smelling it and that's enough of an first exposure to it. So experimenting with those new foods is a beginning point of food acceptance. I was just thinking about some of the complexities of that for a parent trying to feed their child, particularly like a parent on a budget is watch, watching their child throw like food across the room. I'm sure mm-hmm. that would be enraging mm-hmm. and it would be hard to think about, oh, this is just experimental or like mm-hmm. my child gets to just enjoy this. Yeah. That would be so hard. Yes, yes, yes. There are so many buttons that can push for a parent if it's the financial, maybe it's cleanliness, maybe it's personality and time. I would say that that as a parent was probably one of the hardest parts of it is like figuring out how much time do you let them explore with the food before you're like, okay, meal done, you know, um, because there were parts of that that was pretty uncomfortable for for me. So I think you're right. Yes, it, it does make lots of challenges there. The other part to the parents' experience of developing these food acceptance skills for their children is that a parent's role in the feeding relationship is decide what foods you're going to serve in your family. And I think it's really a powerful thing to stop and pause as a parent to go, okay, what are the foods from my upbringing that I want to continue to have in my own household? What are the foods that that represent traditions that are a part of my eating? And also what are some other cultural practices or beliefs or routines and rituals that come along with food that are also true to who I am that I want to also pass down to my children. And it is, as maybe you even listened in a recent podcast, our Food Memories podcast, talking about food brings up joy and it connects to emotion. And so as a parent to help with food acceptance skills, it is just a knowing that that upbringing, your traditions, your cultural beliefs and practices and rituals matter to helping your children also develop those food acceptance skills. So I think of all of those aspects, but I guess I would just encourage the parent that wants to try to develop their child's food acceptance skills to just have a attitude of patience and continue to just offer food, you know, offer a lot of different kinds of things and then um, being consistent and that is going to help your child be able to grow in familiarity with those foods and that messiness, maybe it is the peas and the spaghettis or whatever you're putting on that. And I know that the jumping to kind of thinking about in the eating disorder recovery process, when I think about food acceptance skills, it's actually one of the phrases that we find to be the most applicable because we find so many clients that have stopped having food acceptance skills. They like no longer can come to an environment where there's new foods that they have either or foods that they have chosen to reject in their eating disorder and 
they therefore don't know how to handle the eating environment anymore because they aren't able to be flexible in the moment. They aren't able to just eat to feed themselves in that moment. And we have to go through a process. We find a lot of the exposure work that we do in the eating disorder treatment environment is this food acceptance skill building of them going, oh, wait a minute, that food in front of me, I kind of am scared by it again, even though maybe I was introduced to it as an infant and I did all of that messy stuff. But wait, I'm 25 or I'm 45 and I now am I supposed to like just put it up to my mouth and touch it or just that smell I can't do it you know it's not like socially appropriate anymore right to do what we did in infancy when you're in eating disorder treatment but we find that that's kind of what the clients almost need is that opportunity I'm sure you yeah. saw that Carter when you were with, I know, you know I I definitely did and I was just thinking specifically about the I don't I don't know why I had a meatball sub in my mind but I did their meatball subs were definitely served at Opal at times. And that's a food mm. that you eat with your hands and is messy. And I've heard you say so many times, like, okay, eat it with your hands. Like, no, nope, we're not taking a knife and fork to that. Like, try it with your hands first, you know. And and you've said that about these foods that I think as an adult, someone's trying to be very careful with and very clean with. And, and someone that has a disordered, with, disordered relationship with food might fear that messiness for a lot of different reasons. But mm-hmm. It's intriguing to me to think about that in this context, that the adult in them that's sitting at the table might go, oh, no, no. And yet they have to sort of invite this younger part of them to be like, okay, this is just going to be messy. It's going to be it's going to be awkward. Maybe I might get sauce all over my face and mm-hmm. <laughs> the sandwich might break in my hands, but mm-hmm. maybe this is going to be delicious. Mm-hmm. And um, that delicious part of there's so much that blocks one's thought that they're going to enjoy the foods that they have lived without in their eating disorder so well. I don't need that. Right. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's been it, that's exciting. Burritos, I think, are another yes, good one yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah. What would this look like for a healthy adult? Mm-hmm. I think all of us that kind of are just eaters out there, I do think there are ways that maybe we also have not allowed for ourselves to be a kid sometimes in the food environment. And maybe you are someone who's connected to enjoyment and appetite. I think just let yourself rejoice in that and allow yourself to know that is a very important skill in your eating competency and know that. That matters. Uh, And don't throw that out as something that is just, of course you enjoy food and have a drive to eat. I would say no. There are a lot of people who have lost that. And so rejoice in it, be grateful for it, and continue to nurture that. And if you're someone who is still afraid of your enjoyment and fear your drive to eat, your appetite, perhaps you don't like to try the samples at the grocery store or or don't want to suggest to your friends that you want to try that new restaurant down the street this weekend— because you'd be fearful of your appetite being seen, maybe take a pause, uh, explore that, and reorient yourself to your appetite. Perhaps maybe taking a risk to express that enjoyment with food to a friend or follow your whim to try that new flavor of ice cream that you've had your eye on. I love that. Yeah. It made me think of um, this past weekend, I was not feeling very good and had sort of been lying around in bed and, and had not had a breakfast yet. And then I was like, I don't want to move. Like, I was just so tired. And so I had to consciously think like, okay, is there any food that sounds remotely good to me in this Mm -hmm. moment? And let's get you to that place that has that food and like make something work to get in your body right now because obviously you need to eat. And I don't think I had tried in such a long time to just consciously think of like, what is is the like only thing I'm going to enjoy right now? Or Mm -hmm. what is, what is that? And 
it was such an interesting sort of skill to use to get me eating just when I was feeling ill mm-hmm. um, because it's such a motivator if we can yeah. connect to some enjoyment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and in these four eating competency areas, food acceptance skills also speak to moments where you do just need to eat also. And so sometimes it, it like I think your tool of using enjoyment as the draw, like going, oh, that's like, yes, like I'm going to find something that tastes really good is part of that. I think there's also a moment where we just need to accept what's in front of us. So if you're in the midst of a busy day at work or you're in a foreign environment, if it's in a different culture or in a different person's home or something, to also just be able to accept the food and nourish your body. So both places, like is a food acceptance skill, I think. So I also think that that is a important skill to nurture, to be able to accept and Yes, enjoy can also be on a range, maybe, right? Like right. enjoyment to blissful, like wowzer <laughs> pleasure, but also to just know that you can be feeding yourself and you can be proud of that and be kind of enjoying the fact that you're feeding yourself too. Yes. Yeah, that's such a good point. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's just about what is exactly in front of you. Mm-hmm. And just- I- yeah. Taking care of it. <laughs> and that's like, th- that's the draw of the appetite, right? Like you're going, going, wait, I know I need food and this is what's here. And so therefore I'm going to do it. This is why I love that we named that the podcast, The Appetite, because there's, there is just so much nuance on it. And mm-hmm. it covers so many different bases in terms of what it feels like to be human, maybe to really stretch it very far. But I feel that way, that yeah. it's about listening to desire and it's about listening to need and it's about needing to sort of do all of that at once and try to make sense of the world when you're someone with an appetite. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much for joining us today and learning a little bit with us and with me about food acceptance skills. We are going to be pausing here and coming back next time with our second part of the series. We're going to be talking about eating attitudes. If you want to learn more and do some research of your own in the meantime, definitely check out Alan Satter's book. It's called Secrets of Feeding a Healthy Family. I do not have a family that I am trying to feed, and I have still found it quite helpful um, both as a clinician and as a person. Just eating. So (laughs) check it out. And if you want to learn more about Opal, make sure that you're following us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, or all three if you'd like. If you want to learn more about our programming, make sure that you go to opalfoodandbody.com as well. Just so you know, there's often some fun stuff going on on our Instagram. Often after the episode, we will be adding little tidbits or shots from our recording time. So if you're not following along there, that can be extra fun to find us there as well. So join us next time for the second of this series and make sure to subscribe so that you are up to date on our releases. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you to Daniel Gunther at Jack Straw Cultural Center to Aaron Davidson for the Appetite's original music, and to Hans Anderson for editing. Talk to you soon.